Well, good morning to you, and it's good to share with you in worship today, along with my wife Anne, who's here this morning also, and to see a number of Kent faces, as we say, and to enjoy fellowship together. Our passage this morning is John chapter 8, verse 12 to 30. Um, if the numbering's a little bit strange in your Bible, it's due to the uncertainty about the story of uh, the woman caught in adultery, whether it should be included in the passage or not because of different <coughs> manuscripts and so on. But uh, I'm reading from verse 12 to 30, and it begins about Jesus and his saying, the light of the world. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards but I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. It sounds a bit like a court with complicated questions and so on and a bit hard to directly relate to. 
But perhaps as we share together this morning by God's Spirit, we might begin to discover why this is so important to hear all that passage today and not just the phrase, I am the light of the world. I know I'm a bit weird, but I quite like the old ones. Uh, I don't just mean Laura's and, and Naomi's and so on, but uh, I mean the old poets and musicians and, and uh, books and etc., etc. And so with this passage in mind, and the text especially, that I am the light of the world in my heart, I immersed myself two or three times listening in Syriac, which I don't speak, to a wonderful song about the light of the world, written by Ephraim the, the Syriac in the fourth century. He's a wonderful theologian and poet and musician, not in the same style that we would have, and I'm going to read a bit of it to you, but I, when it's sung with kind of Greek or Russian Orthodox sound and everything, it just absorbs you. And what caught me, my attention with this particular hymn was its sheer joy and wonder in the light of God in Jesus Christ. A phrase like, I am the light of the world, trips off the tongue of the old hand Christian. We've heard it all before. But we ought to wonder at this. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So Ephraim, the Syriac, I'm not singing, and it's not even poetically put. It's beginning to get like this hymns we're now beginning to see. Notice people are adding third verses, fourth sections, fifth bits and things like this. You're never quite sure when the hymn's going to end. It's a bit like that, but it won't read it all. Fourth century. The gospel in the heart of Turkey. Long before most of us were ever thinking about such wonderful things in the West, here it was, there. The light of the just and joy of the upright is Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear it? Confidence, certainty, joy. Begotten of the Father, he manifested himself to us. He came to rescue us from darkness and to fill us with the radiance of his light. Day is dawning upon us. The power of darkness is fading away. From the true light there arises for us the light which illumines our darkened eyes. His glory shines upon the world and enlightens the very depths of the skies. Death is annihilated. Night has vanished. The gates of shale are broken. Creatures lying in darkness from ancient times are clothed with light. The dead rise from the dust and sing because they have a saviour. He brings salvation and grants us life. He ascends to his father on high. He will return in glorious splendour and shed his light on those gaining, gazing upon him. Our king comes in majestic glory. How's that for a starter hymn? It's funny how we think we're the clever world today. 
so well educated, all the knowledge of the world at a click or a press of a button. And yet, often we sing floss and sing poorly when the richness of Scripture grasped hold of in phrases that we kind of grasp even today, but when sung in the way I've been listening to it, in my own understanding with this in front of me, voices of those who speak in another language singing a hymn to the light that is worth hearing. I am the light of the world. The context, of course, is the Feast of Tabernacles, which I think you addressed just recently. We won't go into that other than to say that in that great celebratory feast, these great candelabra that were lit at night in the feast sometimes, perhaps just once in the week, but some think every night. It lit up all of Jerusalem, so they say, and could be seen for miles around. And the holy men, the godly men, would dance around the candelabra with joy and praise and expectation for the coming of the Messiah, but he had not yet come. Signaled by the snuffing out of the candelabra at the end of the festival. And it would seem in that kind of context, where they were dancing the light, dancing with hope, they could not see that in front of them the light had come, Jesus Christ. And all the time this light that John had announced, John the Baptist had announced right at the beginning of this book of John, saying that he was not the light, but Christ was. This word that came into the world, the word that in and whom God created all things, including that first great phrase, let there be light, and there was light. That word was the light of life. This was the one who enlightens every man. And he's there in the courtyards. And they do not know. They do not hear. And worse still, many have begun to hear things they do not like. The Pharisees and the religious elite. Notice this. This passage about light and darkness takes us into religion. Not simply into a big bad world of immorality, which is where we often tuck darkness. When we hear Jesus is the light of the world, we may well even switch off and say, well, this will be a gospel message for those who are in darkness. But this wasn't just a gospel message for those who are in darkness. This was a rebuke and a challenge and a revelation to those who thought they were in the light. There is a challenge for God's people, most certainly and most truly. And so in the passage, we hear a growing hostility towards Jesus, plotting to kill him. We ended up saying they, they didn't do anything at that point because his hour had not yet come. God was still in control, even in the attacks upon Jesus Christ. And it's in that setting, of religious people full of their own self-righteousness 
blind to the way God was working in Jesus Christ, looking for a Messiah in their own making rather than in the gift of God. There, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The I am sayings, of course, are traditionally seen as seven in number. But if we include the phrase like, I am he, at least we have eight. So I suggest we take these idea of eight like tentacles of an octopus. They wrap themselves around all these sayings, I am sayings, around much of what the Old Testament vision is all about, the God who is light, the God who gives light and life, and all of it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they emphasize time after time after time his identity with God as God's son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has the fullness of God dwelling in him. This is God's deity being asserted, and they knew that which is why they were so hostile against him. And that immediately makes sense to us today. Why has the church known so much decline in number in the West? Because we have a world that's hostile to Jesus Christ. Our claims in a world full of various religions and The religion of Judaism and the religion of Islam both claim that God is one God, which we too agree with. But when it comes to Jesus, they stumble and fall. And so did these Pharisees then. This is the issue at stake. Who is Jesus Christ? Many will agree he's a good man. Even Richard Dawkins has time for Jesus. Doesn't have time for much else. Certainly doesn't have time for Christians. But he would balk at the idea that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. It's a scandal. Doesn't fit with human wisdom. Doesn't fit with Jewish religion and thinking. Except that was missing the truth that was clearly announced in the Old Testament by Moses and by the prophets and stage by stage more clearly as time went on. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And who was that great light? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So they emphasize his deity, but they tune in to Israel's story and their hope of Messiah. For in spite of everything, they were still looking, as they're still looking today, for Jesus to come for the Messiah. And it's quite clear that the idea of light is central to that story of Israel. We simply remember the wonderful truth of their story in the wilderness. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel 
by day or night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The greatness of God's presence symbolized in light. The Shekinah glory of which we speak, God wraps himself in light. Light is beautiful, light is pure. And in its clarity, we see what God wants us to know and to see. John is quite clear in his letter, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's no shadow of turning in the father of lights. This is a God that you can trust because there is nothing that is twisted or skewed or wrong or unrighteous in him. This is pure being in all its glory and majesty. And it was into darkness that God said, let there be light. He separated darkness and light. And in fact, where we say morning and evening, the scriptures speak in Genesis of evening and morning, as if darkness gives way to light. In the natural world, in the creation, light brings life. And so, in the spiritual world, John tells us that in the word, God's son, all things were made, and this in him was life. The light was. He was the light of men. He was the life of men. The life and the light are interchangeable. We usually equate light with what's good and darkness with what's bad. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. And there is something of that. Darkness is often in a, used in a negative way. But perhaps we need to be careful here. We immediately tend to think of walking in darkness as meaning we're sinning. Hence we quote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from 1 John chapter 1. But the context there takes us deeper into that reality. If I said to you that sin was not your greatest problem, would you think I was preaching heresy? And clearly you do, but you're not telling me. But actually, sin is a symptom of something deeper. Unbelief. Unbelief itself is sinful, but that's the whole problem. And this story that we are entering today, and this saying, I am the light of the world, is one that is telling us that if you turn your back on Jesus Christ, death is your gift. For that's the kind of darkness that it is. The darkness of the old covenant, if you like, must give way to the light of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The hope of the old is fulfilled in the reality of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. And so it's perhaps a better thing to see life and death as the contrast a death that's spiritual. I am the light of the world. The long-expected Messiah makes it clear. And what his task is, is to reveal to us 
the Father, his purposes, and the way the Father will relate us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' purpose. Not, not to make us a little bit better, or a little bit kinder, or a little bit nicer. The church is in danger today of becoming a self-help group rather than a gospel group. Now, don't misunderstand me there. We need care and comfort and help and strength and encouragement and so on. All of that's useful. But unless it's gospel usefulness, good news usefulness, centered and focused on Jesus Christ, it's no better than you can find in the AA or any other support group. That's astonishing to say, isn't it? We can do what the Pharisees were doing, muting their own gospel, if you like, overlaying it with a whole lot of traditions and ideas and what should be. We can do it in different ways. Not meaning to, not intending to, but it's easier to get two people to talk together about how to be kind or how to be less depressed than actually to talk gospel to them. Because what Jesus is saying, if you don't follow the light, you remain in darkness. The darkness of spiritual death. If you don't stay in the light, well, nothing really can grow there that's of eternal worth or value. Your salvation is at stake. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am personalizes it. Jesus does not come to hold a torch so that we can follow him along a little pathway that makes us better people or a better world. He comes to get us to relate to God the Father through him who is the light. But the light of life, the life that John says is abundant, the life that is rich, the life that is eternal, the life that is the life of God and the soul of man and the soul of the church. To know the light is to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. What world? Well, the world of his own people. He came to his own, but his own received him not. I was preaching in a United Free Church recently, and after the service, a lady said to me, very shyly, she kind of bent down and looked up at me, and she said, I wish I could believe the way you believe. I, I didn't make any great claim to being a great believer. I'm not singing as I heard in the show yesterday up in Perth. I am a believer. I am a believer, but I say, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I don't trust my, my own faith. I trust God to hold me. I trust my faith, if it's in him, will keep me. I trust if I'm in the light, I have that salvation. And so we need to learn very carefully that it's gospel light that matters in all our work and life and experience. 
his own people were rejecting the light. That's what Jesus is calling darkness, rejecting the light, rejecting him, rejecting God. And we live in a land in which that's precisely the default position. So we should stop moaning and groaning as Christian people about the world not being comfortable for us anymore. How can it be if we are children of light? All our task is to be light, to shine with the glory of Christ shining through us that somewhere, somehow, people might see The key is to recognize that he's the true light. There are other lights. I was quite interested in reading a sermon by C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, who daringly suggested that the light of Christ can penetrate everywhere. Everywhere there's truth, the light of Christ is there. Everything that points in some way to the truth of God, the light of Christ is there. It might be a a very pale light, a weak light. And he mentioned that even in Islam, the fact that they, through Muhammad, stressed that there was one God was part of the way the light of Christ shone. The problem for Islam is they can have no heavenly father because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God come in the flesh and died for our sins. That's the difference. That's the gospel difference. And if we are wrong about that, well, God help us. If we're right, then we must shine with it and follow it day by day. Uh, We were at a show yesterday in Perth for three um, granddaughters were all taking part in it. We thought it might be an hour and a half. It started, we queued at half three. It started at quarter past four. We got home about nine o'clock. Went on for about four and a half hours one way and another. But in beforehand and in the break because it was in St. Luke's Catholic Academy in Perth in the theatre there and they they have a big thing in the vestibule area about the ethos of the school. It's kind of like a tree and there's all sorts of subjects and values and stuff like that but also it has things like as it would be from Roman Catholic about prayer and retreats and pilgrimages and and outings as well of other kinds. But down at the bottom, something that impressed me, whatever whatever it meant, is they are trying to be gospel-orientated. And it had a statement that said, all our work as a school, our life and work, must be based on gospel values. Well, interesting. I'm not exploring that any further, but just interesting that someone dares to put that on their mission statements, as it were. And that should help us to understand something. If Jesus is the light of the world, 
to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to every sphere in the world. There's nothing you touch and no part of your life in which his light matters. It must touch everything. How you behave, how you live, where you go, what you do, what you value, how you speak, how you react in everything you do. Whether it's your work or your home or your leisure, it doesn't matter. Whether you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. Every sphere is where his light needs to shine. But you see, these other lights in the world often attract us. And what we need to make sure we do is hold to the true light. Speaking to my pastor, Brian Moore, and he was just about Jesus, the light of the world, for some reason. I think maybe he asked me what I was preaching this Sunday. And he was reminding me that as a fisherman, when he was out at sea, Sumborough Lighthouse in Shetland, from 30 miles out at sea, you can see its light shining. But if you're 40 to 50 miles away, on a clear night, you might see above the curvature of the earth a kind of halo. Can't see the light, but you can see the halo. It's the lesser light, if you like. The light that Christ has that penetrates everything. But the closer you come to him, the clearer, the sharper, the beam itself becomes. I think Ephraim, the Syriac, was close up to that mighty beam of Jesus Christ. As we finish, it's important, however, to recognize that verses um, 13 to 26 basically involve Jesus in a dispute. So this dispute about his testimony, about his father, about where he is going. We won't go into all the details of that because it's quite complex to do. But Jesus is demonstrating his authenticity. His testimony is valid. He is the true light. A couple of weeks ago, one of my granddaughters I had to pick up from school and on the way home, she started talking to me about things and she said, Papa, she's nine years of age, and I've got a bucket list. She's nine years of age. By the way, always remember the person who invented the bucket list died when he was 69, so um, didn't do him much good. Uh, She'd been on a show recently, so her first one on her list is to go to Hollywood. She'd like to go to Hollywood. She's got a, 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 a way she wants to die, and she would like to die on Mars. So she's obviously got to hang on for a while. But she said, I've not got my full, full list yet, but I want to do a parachute jump. But I know that actually sometimes it doesn't work. So I'm putting that at the bottom of my list. 
wee bit of sense. What is this to do with the light of the world? Well, suddenly she's saying, sure Christians go to heaven when they die. So we had a little talk about that. Other people say that you don't. You just come back as something else. Sounds like a bit of reincarnation talk's been going on at school. And, and, and so the discussion went on about Christianity, other religions, God, Jesus. And then she asked this question. Papa, how do you know which one is true? How do you know which one is true? And the answer Jesus gives, my testimony, my father's testimony, all wrapped up with the whole story of Israel, all the word of God, all the prophecies, all the acts of God, all the covenant, everything. And the self-giving of God in Jesus Christ upon a cross for us. The light that brings life. Reject him. Reject salvation. Did, did you hear what he said to the Pharisees? Don't follow me and you are still in your sin. And the lady who asked me, I wish I had your faith, has been a churchgoer all her life. What's, what's that about? Being around the light and not seeing it? Living in the religion without the reality? Not knowing God as your father all these years while you've worshipped and sung the praises and heard the stories Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord, young or old today, hear that challenge. And if that sounds desperate, remember the last verses of our passage, bring us hope. Jesus put it very clearly, when I've been lifted up, then you will know that I am the one, the one I claim to be, I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. On the cross, there we see the challenge to the whole world. It seems like nonsense to the Greek philosophical mind that wants the light of illumination and enlightenment. And the Jewish mindset that could not see God in flesh and upon a cross. Neither can anywhere in the world be an easy place for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be made known? But that's what makes it clear. This one is the true light, or there is no light of life at all. And you know, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Their eyes were opened. They were illuminated. Because you see, the problem doesn't lie in the world. The darkness is in our hearts. The darkness of a mind that's ignorant of God, 
that's hardened against him, that's filled with our own evil ways. Get, get the life through the light and then he will deal with our sins. Let us light our lamps, said Ephraim, and go forth to meet him as he returns. Let us find our joy in him, for he has found joy in us. He will indeed rejoice us with his marvelous light. Let us glorify the majesty of the Son and give thanks to the Almighty Father, who in an outpouring of love sent him to us to fill us with hope and salvation. When he manifests himself, the saints awaiting him in weariness and sorrow will go forth to meet him with lighted lamps. The angels and guardians of heaven will rejoice in the glory of the just and upright people of earth. Together, crowned with victory, they will sing hymns and psalms. Stand up then, be ready. Give thanks to our King and Saviour, who will come in great glory to gladden us with his marvellous light in his kingdom. May God bless us knowing these things.